It's the Chronicles of Aguna. It's our tactical analysis show, and we are live. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu. And on this edition, we're going to be analysing Arsenal's defeat to Villarreal in the first leg of their UEFA Europa League semi-final. Arsenal losing 2-1 on the night. Goals from Trigueros and Raul Albiol put Villarreal in front before, of course, Nicolas Pepe kept this call from the penalty spot and scored for Arsenal what could prove to be a crucial away goal. I was feeling really pissed off last night, really downbeat about about the performance, uh, you know, uh, about the team selection, about the way Mikel Arteta had handled it all, etc., etc. But I wasn't too downbeat about the result, and I'm still not too downbeat about the result, because a 2-1 away from home, when you've got the away goal, is by no means a disastrous result, right? It's it's a result from which we can, you know, we can potentially recover. And I think similarly to what I was saying after the game against Slavia Prague, after the first leg against Slavia Prague, yes, we were bad and we, we should have won or, or we should have done better than we actually did. I'm not going to say we should have won last night because we certainly didn't deserve to. But we should have done better. We haven't. We didn't. We've got to move on. And the great thing about these Europa League ties is that there's two legs. And Arsenal have the opportunity to put this right. They have the opportunity to put this right next Thursday night at the Emirates Stadium. And fingers crossed we can do exactly that. I shared my sort of post-match reaction on the uh, the live stream last night it was became available as a podcast this morning. So if you haven't heard it and you want to check it out, it is the last show in the feed. But on this edition, I'm going to be looking at it in a more calmer fashion. I'm going to be looking at some of the tactical elements that I think that Mikel Arteta got wrong. And I'm going to be discussing uh, what he probably should have done better. Obviously, hindsight is a wonderful thing, right? And it's really easy uh, to do this in hindsight, much easier than it is uh, to get it right first time around. But we're going to make, um, you know, we're going to put it all to one side, put the anger, put the, the disappointment to one side and focus on what we did wrong tactically because we have to learn from it ahead of the second leg. And I guess, you know, I, I've defended Mikel a lot and and I will, you know, until we're out of the Europa League, it's very difficult for me to start saying, you know, I'll tetter out like some people are. But the worrying thing is that a lot of these mistakes are not being learnt from. We're relying on players that have forever let us down. We're trying different things, um, you know, that that are not are simply not proven, that are new to us. And we're almost relying on them clicking instantly and getting us results. And unfortunately, Mikel Arteta tried a couple of things last night, and, and that, which I'm going to go on to explain, that just baffled me. 
And, and that's that's the honest truth. Let's start with with the decision to play Xhaka at left back. Let's get that one out of the way early doors because I know a lot of people were debating with me during the uh, pre-match stream about whether or not he should play there. Many of you felt he shouldn't. I can see there's a few of you in the chat who feel as though that has proved to be a mistake. I don't actually think that Granit Xhaka was the problem yesterday. And I'm not saying that because I defend Granit Xhaka. I genuinely don't feel that Granit Xhaka was exposed anywhere near as many times as some of you thought he would be in the lead up to that game. Samuel Chukwesi cut inside Granit Xhaka to good effect once. And even that one time, yeah, you could argue that Xhaka backed off. You know, he was a little bit fearful, I think, of committing himself. He committed himself against Richarlison on Friday night in that game against Everton and Richarlison just skipped past him. That's the worry when you're somebody who's a lot slower than your opponent, somebody who's fearful of the pace of the quick feet. And and Xhaka obviously will be well aware of the fact, you know, that he's not quite, you know, as quick and as sharp and as nimble as some of the, the tricky wingers that he's going to come up against playing in that position. But I, I didn't think he got done too often. And I thought actually he did okay. As some of you are saying in the chat, though, and as Steve rightly says, Xhaka is needed in midfield, though, Harry. I completely agree with this. I've been banging the granite Xhaka midfield drum throughout the course of the season because I think that even in comparison to Thomas Partey, I think he's been our best midfielder this season. He's been the most consistent of those midfield players. You can make the case that, you know, maybe he's not good enough in the longer term and, and perhaps we could upgrade on him. I, I totally accept that. But in terms of what Arsenal have available to them now, in terms of what Mikel Arteta currently has at his disposal, it's clear that Granit Xhaka is our most important midfield player. So, you know, while I was okay with the idea of him playing left-back last night, I think this time against a better midfield, we saw that we really, really miss him there. Just going back to that original, you know, to the, the first goal, because I, I have watched the game back again this morning fully. And um, I had a particularly close look at the goal uh, that Arsenal conceded. And, and the goal that Arsenal conceded come off the back of one fourth um, bombing forward for Villarreal. Now, one fourth, right, is somebody that doesn't normally do that. If you watch Villarreal regularly, if you look into Villarreal and, and the way they've played this season and the games in which Foyth has played as a right-back, which, by the way, he's not looked very comfortable in at all. Sod's law that he would, you know, kick into gear uh, for a game against Arsenal. But he hasn't done this very often. But what he was doing was he was bombing down the flank. And it wasn't, you know, one Foyth running on the outside. It was one Foyth running on the inside, almost like an inverted fullback. The very thing that Mikel Arteta tries to sometimes get Hector Bayer in to do. But what was happening as a result of Granit Xhaka's reluctance to squeeze up, because naturally he doesn't have the pace that some of the other players do uh, when they're playing that left back. He was fearful of that pace of Jaquazi and he didn't want to push up. He wanted to stay close and compact to the back four. But what that does is it creates a massive space um, in this area of the pitch here because the fullback... Normally, if it was Kieran Tierney, would have the energy to cover that area, to get up and down, to make it difficult and to rely on himself and trust in himself to be able to get back when necessary. Xhaka doesn't trust himself to get back. Mikel Arteta probably doesn't trust Granit Xhaka to get back. And that's probably 
a part of it as well. He's probably instructed him to be a little bit more cautious in terms of uh, a bombing on forward. But in not stepping forward, Granit Xhaka leaves a massive space in front of him. And when you're asking Nicola Pepe to play as an out-and-out -and -out and attacker, there's going to be a gaping hole there in front of Granit Xhaka. And one fourth exploited that. On numerous occasions, he picked up the ball for Villarreal and drove forward into the half space um, and, and always had Chukwesi on the outside of him. And that was what they did. One fourth drove forward, played the ball to his right to Chukwesi on the outside. And Chukwesi, having stepped inside Granit Xhaka like he did once he got inside the penalty area, you know, he gets into a position just inside the box. Xhaka stands him up, probably backs off a little bit too much. Um, and Trigueros, who drifts over uh, from the other side of the pitch, is unmarked. But Ceballos comes across to cover for Granite Xhaka. He comes across to deal with the threat of Chukwesi, to deal with the potential of Chukwesi cutting inside. And when the opportunity comes for Danny Ceballos to make a strong challenge and get the ball clear, he fails to do that. He fails to do that. It's a weak challenge. And from then on, the ball falls to Trigueros, who finds the bottom corner. And all of a sudden, Arsenal find themselves a goal down. The second goal, there's not really much to analyse from a tactical standpoint, other than I can't understand how Gerard Moreno, the man that we had been talking about in the build-up to this game as Villarreal's biggest threat, was allowed to head the ball from the edge of the six-yard box, completely unchallenged. He missed the header, by the way. It came off of his shoulder, but it fell uh, to, of course, uh, Raul Albiol, who was quicker and sharper than Thomas Partey. Uh, in terms of his reaction at the far post. He turned it in and there you had it. Villarreal were two goals to the good. Big hello to uh, Simranjit Singh, who's just signed up as a member of the channel. Simran, thank you very, very much for doing so. I really, really appreciate your support, mate. And uh, welcome to the family. Click in the community tab, find the link for the Discord server and make sure you come over and join us there. We'd love to have you in there. Uh, so it'd be great to, uh, to hear from you in the Discord group. So come over, check it out. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Um, just a quick reminder as well, while I've paused on the tactical analysis, this episode is sponsored by Le Bomb. Le Bomb is the new football predictor game where you take on your mates rather than the bookies. And once again, this weekend, I am playing with Adam McCola, um, Boovy. I'm playing with Rory. Uh, I'm playing with Elliot Hackney and I'm looking to make it a fourth weekend in a row where I basically take their money, uh, basically win the cash prize. Um, I've been in fine form, didn't even have a good week last week, but it was enough still to get me over the line. So check out La Bomb. You can find the link in the description, download it, share it with your mates, sign up, play. Um, it's great fun. And as I say, you get to take the money off of your friends rather than the bookmakers. So uh, head over to the uh, link in the description, click on it, make sure you download the app, check it out. And of course, uh, sign up. You must be 18 and a UK resident to play um, to play the Le Bomb game. Uh, and you must be, yeah, UK resident and 18 plus. Check it out. It's great fun. And I'm looking to make it a fourth victory in the row. Fingers crossed for me. There we go. Let's go back to the tactical analysis on this one. And, and I told you that, you know, the second goal, there's not really much to analyse other than it was shocking marking. But Arsenal did improve in the second half, albeit not enough, really. You know, when we look at it in the cold light of day, yeah, you can say that we were we were better. 
um, you know, than we were in the first half. But that wasn't hard, were we? It was a really disappointing and frustrating first 45 minutes for Arsenal. So what changed in the second half? Well, actually, I think Unai Emery did a classic Unai Emery. And Unai Emery withdrew Paco Alcatha at halftime. Now, I don't know for sure if it was due to the forward picking up an injury or whatever uh, the reason was for him doing that. But in taking Paco Alcatha off, he replaced him with Francis Coquelin, a defensive midfielder. So Unai Emery taking off one of his strikers to replace him with uh, Francis Coquelin, a defensive-minded midfield player, was just classic Unai Emery for me. It was a, a move, the move of someone who was fearful of his opponent. And actually, actually, when you think about how good or how much control they had in the first half and how they limited us to very little, I think that was a coward's move. And so it baffles me when I'm, I'm scrolling through Twitter this morning and today, and I'm seeing people praising Unai Emery and saying Unai Emery outsmarted Mikel Arteta. Actually, I think that Unai Emery allowed Arsenal back into the game. I think that Unai Emery made a big mistake in doing that because he handed the upper hand uh, to Arsenal. He handed Arsenal the impotence. And as a result of that change, his Villarreal side sunk much deeper and almost invited Arsenal on. So I think personally that he got it wrong. Uh, let me just pause for a second. Uh, to give a big shout out to uh, Jim House and how you doing, mate? Uh, he says 18 months. It's like Mikel Arteta doesn't know his best 11. You're absolutely right, mate. Um, and we'll come on to talk about a little bit about the rotation of the side in just a moment. But thank you very much for your kind donation and constant support as well. It is very, very much appreciated. So going back to, to that change that Unai Emery made at halftime, I actually think that turned the tide in the game. It meant that Villarreal... Uh, sat off. They became more defensive. They moved it more into a formation like the one I'm displaying on the screen now. And I think it was it was in many ways their undoing. Now, am I saying that Unai Emery was wrong to try and protect the two goal lead that he had established? No, but I think he probably should have tried to make that move or, or should have made that move a little bit later on in the game. I think to do that at half time sends a negative message to your players. Uh, more than anybody else. I think you do that 65, 70 minutes in um, and you take it from there. But to to make that change, I thought, actually gave Arsenal a hope of getting back into the game. Let's talk about the whole false nine thing, right? Because that was the big, big talking point to come out off the back of this game. And initially, when the team was announced, it looked as though Nicola Pepe was going to be the man playing through the middle. Arsenal themselves, when they posted the team news in their tweet, said Nicolas Pepe leads the line. Well, that wasn't to be. It was actually Emil Smith-Rowe who was deployed in a central position. And quite frankly, it just didn't work. It, it, it just didn't work. You know, there were numerous occasions in the first period where Arsenal were getting forward had the ball in the wide areas and in particular from the right-hand side where Callum Chambers was making runs down the flank. They were putting the ball into the penalty area, um, you know, from one of the flanks. You saw Chambers do it on a couple of occasions into this kind of area and where you need somebody to be occupying Raul Albiol and occupying Pau Torres, the, the centre-back, there was nobody there. And so those crosses, rather than being met here, in a central position in the penalty area, were being, were going running all the way through basically uh, to the opposite flank. And on occasions, Nicolas Pepe got there. There was one occasion where Smith Rowe tried to control the ball 
in a central position and he, he did and it ended up taking him wide. But basically that was all coming off of the back of not having a centre forward, not having somebody with the A, instinct to get into the right areas and B, um, you know, B, to to basically take advantage of of that of those scenarios to to occupy the center halves to give them something to think about albiol and paul torres all they had to do was look in front of them they that nobody ever threatened to run in behind them nobody threatened to um you know to get in between them and cause confusion everything was in front of them and therefore it was really really easy to defend against and and they were really really comfortable as a result of that so yeah, I mean, I, I I genuinely think that the decision to play without a centre-forward was a baffling one, and it was the wrong one. And it was the wrong one, not just from an attacking standpoint, right? It was the wrong one because it allowed Villarreal, it allowed Raul Albiol and his central defensive partner to receive the ball from their goalkeeper unchallenged time and time again. We know from when Unai Emery was Arsenal boss that he is obsessed with playing out from the back. He wants his centre-backs to spread open. He wants them to receive the ball from the goalkeeper. And that is how his team builds up play. And if you look at how the first goal came about, if you watch it back, you'll see that the ball comes from Geronimo Rulli. His centre-halves pull wide. Danny Parejo drops in the hole. He plays the ball into Danny Parejo and with one touch around the corner, he plays the ball into the path of Juan Foyth, who then carries the ball forward. And obviously that leads to the first goal. So for me, you are not only giving up what it brings to you in attack by playing without a centre forward, and you're not only giving up the possibility of a player arriving in the right areas at the right time, you're not only allowing the centre-halves to have an easy ride and basically a night off because they're not having to ever worry about what goes in behind them. They're not ever having to worry about somebody taking up position in between them and passing on the man to their partner, etc., etc. All you're doing is you're saying to them, well, we're going to play in front of you and we might make runs into the box, but you know, you, you're going to have a relatively easy night. Now, playing a false nine system can work, right? Manchester City do it to brilliant effect. But that's Manchester City. And to think that Arsenal were going to be able to pull that off anywhere near as effectively as Manchester City do it, I think was arrogant from Mikel Arteta. Honestly, I think it screams arrogance. And, you know, people joke about Mikel Arteta, you know, really sort of modelling himself on Pep Guardiola. And the fact that obviously the pair have, have worked together and, and that that's led to Mikel Arteta taking a lot of his ideas. Well, now he dresses the same, he talks the same, and he's trying to apply the same tactics. Problem is, we don't have the players to do it. By playing Emil Smith-Rowe as a false nine, you are killing Emil Smith-Rowe. That's not his game. That's not where he wants to be. It's not where he wants to pick up the ball. I think... You know, Nicolas Pepe was wasted out on the left-hand side. Our only real goal for it pushed out onto the left-hand side. But And that's fine if you've got a centre-forward for him to link up with and come in field, um, you know, to support. But when you've got Emil Smith-Rowe in that position, and it's not a dig at Emil Smith-Rowe by any means because this is not his position and we have to accept that and we have to understand that. 
But the, the whole decision was was just bonkers for me. As I said, it allowed their centre halves to have a really easy evening, and and the only way this works is if you play the false nine, but your front four essentially rotate positions constantly, right? That's the only way that this works. You know, you, Odegaard, Saka, uh, Pepe, if they all rotate positions as a four, as like a cycle, as a unit, that's when a false nine system can work because you cause confusion. But we never did that. You never saw Nicolas Pepe come in from the left-hand side and um, and take up the centre-forward position. You never really saw Emil Smith-Rowe go out to the right, go out to the left alone. You never really saw Odegaard occupy any of those positions. Yes, it happened from time to time, but in order for a false nine system to work, you know, it, it needs to have it needs to have that movement and that rotation. It needs to have that fluency that causes problems for defenders looking on. And we simply didn't do that. So that, that was another reason why the false nine thing really didn't work. Just going back to Arsenal's sort of initial setup, if I just uh, reset this for those of you watching us on YouTube at the moment. Big hello to those of you, of course, listening uh, via the audio platforms as well. If you prefer to come over to YouTube so you can see the um, the visuals that I'm using to explain my points, then feel free to do so. Make sure you've hit the like button on the video. If you haven't done so already, make sure you are also subscribed to the channel. It really, really does help. And uh, a big thank you uh, to our new members who have signed up today. And if you wish to do so, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. But let's go back to the initial setup. And I've talked about it in recent weeks. I've talked about the fact that when Xhaka is playing at left back, we see Danny Ceballos pull out to this wider position. And he pulls out to that wider position for two reasons. Number one, to occupy the space that is not being occupied because of Granite Xhaka's, and I'm going to say inability to get up and down the flank. And number two, because Danny Ceballos can receive the ball under a lot less pressure when he gets it out on the left-hand side, right? It's a less condensed area of the pitch and he's looked better on the ball when he's played in this slightly differing role because he's able to get the ball, receive it on the touchline almost at times and have the whole pitch in front of him to be able to see what's going on. He's not under a great deal of pressure there and then he can carry it into midfield, pick out passes, etc., etc. It's worked to good effect against some some poor opponents. But what you saw from Unai Emery's side yesterday, and, you know, Juan Foyth made those runs down the right-hand side on a couple of occasions. But let me just reset Villarreal back to how they were in the first half. And that was with Moreno and Paco Alcázar uh, leading the line. And then you saw uh, Chukwese on one flank, Trigueros on the other, midfield of Parejo and Capue. Um, so if I just reset Villarreal back to how they were, what they were doing quite frequently, actually, was um, Moreno dropping that little bit deeper, Paco Alcázar moving into the more central uh, sort of forward position. You'd see Trigueros tuck inside and allow Pedraza to come up on the outside. And he caused Callum Chambers quite a few problems actually getting forward, uh, did, the, uh, did the Spanish fullback. But what that did, didn't it, was mean that Villarreal had an overload in midfield. It, with, with Gerard Moreno dropping deep, with Trigueros tucking in, 
And even if Chukwesi kept the width on the right-hand side, all of a sudden, Villarreal had three forwards and a four-man midfield again. And Martin Odegaard was having to drop deeper. I don't think Martin Odegaard had a very good game last night, I've got to be honest. Um, you know, he, he looked rusty. He didn't get on the ball enough. I think everybody in an Arsenal shirt, particularly in the first half, was poor. But I wasn't too thrilled by his performance. But what happens then here is that Partey is being asked, essentially, to marshal this whole area here. Thomas Partey is being asked to marshal this massive area on the pitch. And Villarreal know that. And Villarreal are getting numbers in there. And at times, with Moreno dropping deep, Trigueros coming in field, often Thomas Partey and Martin Odegaard were completely overrun. But that is where you've got to pull Danny Ceballos in. Danny Ceballos constantly wanted to... to um, to pull out to the left-hand side. And I get that's, that's that's part of a tactic, right? I get it. But when you can see there is an overload and that that is a, a frequent problem, as a football manager at this level, you should be able to spot that issue and you need to address it. And Mikel Arteta never addressed it. He never addressed the problems that Arsenal were having, coping with Villarreal's midfield. And, and the thing is, Villarreal, right, on paper, started with a two-man midfield. But you knew, you knew that Emery wasn't going to play that way. You knew that there was going to be uh, moments where he'd find a way of creating that overload and, you know, and, and causing Arsenal problems. And as good as Thomas Partey can be, he ain't going to cope with that, is he? Nobody is. Nobody human is able to cover that much ground alone. And I just wanted to see Danny Sabas pulled in alongside him far more frequently than he actually was. I think that was one of the big, big reasons, actually, that Arsenal was so incapable of, of getting a foothold on the game in the first period and, and controlling that midfield. It was a real, real problem. Real problem. Moving on to a little bit later on in the game. And, and of course, Arsenal went on to win a penalty, um, a very contentious one, by the way. Um, for what it's worth, I, I don't think it was a penalty, to be completely honest. But they did win a penalty. And that penalty was won by Bukayo Saka in the second half after he made a run into um, into Villarreal's penalty area. Got clipped by Trigueros, the man who scored the first goal. He left his leg in there. Uh, you've got to say uh, Bukayo Saka, but it was, you know, I don't want to say it's clever forward play because we don't really want to see that in football. But, it, it, you know, it is. Uh, he wins the penalty and Arsenal were better by that point. Why? Because Arsenal had brought on a centre-forward. Now, you could even argue that Gabriel Martinelli isn't a natural centre-forward, but he at least played the role correctly. He came onto the pitch, he occupied the centre-halves, he gave them something to think about, he was willing to run in behind, he was winning jewels in the air, there was a couple of balls Arsenal played long up the pitch and he, he jumped, jumped on one-headers against the likes of Raul Albiol, etc, etc. It was a couple of decent flick-ons from Gabriel Martinelli, but just having someone in that position who makes the right runs, who takes the centre-half's um, attention away from everybody else is key. It's essential. And, and you saw the difference when Martinelli come on. We still weren't exactly pulling up trees and we still weren't brilliant. But, but you know, we were, we were better and we got a penalty and we scored that penalty. And as such, Arsenal are in with a chance still in this tie. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, I think Mikel Arteta got it wrong and he, and he talked about it, didn't he, in his post-match press conference. He said, 
he was asked if he if he got it wrong, and he said, "I it's always wrong if you don't win the game." So it's kind of an admission, but a half-assed one, if you ask me. Um, but yeah, you know, those are sort of the tactical points that I wanted to raise off the back of that game. Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Um, any you disagree with, any you agree with. Uh, if you're watching this back on replay, let me know. And uh, if you are listening to this on the audio, we'd love to hear from you too. But yeah, it was, um, I, I've written a piece today. It's on 90min.com. You can find it now if you go over there and click Arsenal. And I called it a Mikel Arteta disaster class. I said that Arsenal were lucky to still be alive in Europe after that disaster class. I described it as a, what did I describe it as? There was a there was a phrase I used, um, a bloodbath of incompetence. It was a bloodbath of incompetence, whichever way you look at it. And I, and I genuinely believe that. Really disappointed um, with the display. Of course, we're without Danny Sabas for the second leg. It's probably a, a good thing, to be honest, uh, because he. it's like, he, as I said last night, it's like he's on this crusade to get us knocked out of the Europa League. So many mistakes, so many errors. For what it's worth, I feel it was harsh. The second yellow card, the actual offence for which he was shown a second yellow card, it you know was soft and it felt a little bit harsh. But you could see it coming. Mikel Arteta defended himself in the press conference and said he was preparing the substitution. But obviously he didn't do it quick enough. It was coming. It was coming indeed. But as I said on uh, the reaction shows, there's still another half of this tie remaining. And Arsenal are not out. Arsenal are still in this. Arsenal still have a chance of overturning this. So be disappointed with what we saw on Thursday night. Be frustrated. Make your feelings known. Make your feelings clear. But in terms of our complete judgment, we've got to save it until Thursday, haven't we? I, I honestly don't care about Sunday's game, which sounds terrible when you look at where Arsenal are in the league. You know, it, it sounds pathetic to think that I'm looking at that and I'm not really bothered about whether or not we improve that. But it just feels like so, uh, you know, insignificant because it's all about Thursday for me. And it's all about Thursday for so many reasons. It's about Thursday for the immediate future of the club. Will we get back or do we have a chance at least of getting back in the Champions League? Can we at least get to a European final? Or will this season blow up in our face? And will a mid-table finish be accompanied by a disappointing, incredibly disappointing semi-final defeat against Villarreal? Let's see. Only time is going to tell. Big thank you to every single one of you for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the Le Bomb app. You will find uh, the link to download it in the description. I'd love uh, for you guys uh, to download it. Take on your mates. I promise you, you won't regret it. It's great fun. Um, check it out. Like the video. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you wish to become a member, all you need to do is click on that link in the description. Big welcome to our members who have signed up today. Hope to see you in the Discord server very, very soon. And uh, don't forget, later on, we've got a, a bit of content that's a little bit different. Uh, starting a new series where I'm going to be interviewing 
people from the sports media world, people that I've been lucky enough to work with for the most part, uh, or at least at the beginning anyway, uh, talking about their journeys into the business. I know it's something that loads of people aspire to do. So how did these people get there? And I was joined on the first edition uh, by boxing presenter and former reality TV star, Ali Drew. Uh, she's absolutely fantastic. Lovely girl. Check it out. Um, and she talks about her experiences. And that video is premiering at 4 p.m right here on the YouTube channel. And of course, you can download it in podcast format from the same time. And Newcastle Preview will be with you first thing tomorrow morning, that's Saturday morning. So keep your eyes peeled for that as well. And uh, I'll be joined by the lads from the Gallagate Shots, another member of the 90 Min Podcast Network. So check it out. And uh, I look forward to catching you all very, very soon. Until next time, take care. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.